in challenged times like we're experiencing now, which companies are more likely to cut their dividends because they won't be generating the cash flow to pay them, and we want to avoid those stocks. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, Mark Race, Head of Product at BMO Global Asset Management Canada, will interview two BMO experts about yield-oriented strategies that will put a portfolio to work while the economic future remains uncertain. You'll hear about equity-based opportunities in both Canada and the U.S., as well as the need for covered call, high dividend, and large cap layers in your clients' portfolios. Market commentary for this episode will be provided by portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Chris McKaney. Good morning, and welcome to the BMO ETF's update call, Views from the Desk, where we'll be getting insights and market updates from our ETF portfolio managers to help us navigate through these volatile markets and as well to give us good speaking points to communicate back to our clients and to help shape some of our conversations. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAN Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. And I'm joined today by Chris Heeks and Chris McKaney, both portfolio managers on the ETF Portfolio Management Trading Desk, focused on equity portfolios, derivatives, and client communications. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us today. I'd like to start by reminding everyone just a few trading tips. I won't run down the list, but a reminder to always use limit orders. A limit order simply gives you the best opportunity to get a trade execution where you want it. And of course, depending on how aggressive you are with that limit order, Make sure you revisit it over the course of the day as markets will be moving. The second thing I wanted to mention is just be aware of the heightened market volatility and the fact that, one, prices are moving a lot quicker and a lot further these days, but as well, uh, heightened volatility where the underlying asset classes are trading wider will mean that the ETFs themselves are trading wider, so you should anticipate wider spreads during these stressed markets. So, Chris and Chris, for today, we'd like to keep the focus on equity and turn it a little bit and talk about some income strategies and income-oriented ETFs that might make sense for investors and, of course, what you see in the markets. So, if we can now expect that the current social distancing looks more like months rather than you know a few short weeks, and because of that, the economy is certainly grinding to a halt, it may be a more drawn-out recovery than was in originally anticipated. We can then think of some of the ETFs with higher yields that still offer strong market participation. In other words, getting paid, but still get that upside uh, if markets continue to turn back up. As well, for some of the strategies we'll be talking about today, we also offer them in mutual fund format, which wraps the ETF, and we'll make that clear as we walk through the opportunities. So let's begin with the banks. We have both ZEB which is the Equal Weight Bank ETF, and ZWB, uh, which is the covered call version and also available on a mutual fund, offering this bank exposure in Canada. 
With the price decline, I guess we can say we've got an unintended benefit of rising yields. What is your outlook on the banks, either fully exposed with a cover call strategy or a combination thereof? Uh, Chris Heeks, I'll turn that one over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, good morning, everybody. So I think banks in general is something that we've been most excited about. If we can be excited in a market like this for opportunities, income is a theme that, that I think is positioned very well. But, you know, also with an income strategy, I think right now, large cap and quality overlays is something to consider when putting on, you know, an investment exposure to participate in upside growth, just given given the challenges we're having now and we're going to experience. So Canadian banks, you know, I think are an ideal exposure to get exposure to uh, to equity growth. You know, it's actually Canadian banks have underperformed the index this year. They're down about 29% versus 25% on the index, uh, which I think is pretty unfair when you consider, you know, how much energy is in the index and how punished that sector is. You would, you would, uh, I would have expected banks to be doing uh, relatively better. So I think they present a pretty compelling um, opportunity here. Uh, remind the listeners that, you know, in 2008, that crisis, banks never cut their dividends. They've got a long-term track record of, of maintaining and growing that dividend. Uh, right now, banks are yielding about 6.5%. Um, you have to go back to 2008, and, and they were above that level for, for perhaps about six to nine months. And and before that, you're going to have to go back to about 1991 to get to that yield of where the banks are right now. And, you know, obviously in 1991, interest rates were quite a bit higher. Um, I think I bought a GIC at 11% that year. So um, in terms of a source of yield, it's it's an opportunity that, at least on a historical basis, is kind of a once in 10, once in 15 year opportunity to get in at these yield levels. And I think it's a pretty attractive way to do it. Um, obviously, other valuation metrics on banks are looking very, very good as well. Price to earnings is about 7.6 on ZEB and ZWB. Price to book is about one. And those price to books were kind of in the 1.5 to 2 range going, going, back, um, going back a few months ago. So I think it's I think it's a great opportunity to look at those um, as as a way to dip into equity beta with a you know, really good income level um, on the ZWB. You know, if we talk about the extending crisis with this coronavirus, the cover call overlay um, gives you a way to monetize the volatility in the market and turn that into an additional income stream. So for your income-oriented investors, I think ZWB also makes a lot of sense as well. Um, I think it's a very good opportunity right now. All right. Thank you, Chris. And we certainly saw that with yesterday's markets, uh, a sharp rebound. Uh, looks like we're off to a slightly challenging start this morning, but certainly a chance to take advantage of the volatility instead of having it work against you. So next, let's look at the wider Canadian market. Uh, let's look at dividend strategies where we offer Canadian dividends at DV and a covered call version as a WC, which is also available in a fund format. We know that dividend strategies have been particularly challenged, uh, certainly when you think of you know, adding in a energy exposure. Can you describe the BMO approach to finding sustainable dividends, which I think is very important as we look at a, at a stressed marketplace, which might get extended, how that might then impact the portfolio on a go-forward basis, and really the benefits of having a more diversified approach? So I'll turn that to Chris McKenzie, please. Thanks, Mark. And um, I would just echo in, in general um, what, what Chris Heeks was saying a bit earlier and what you've also kind of alluded to is that 
Um, you know, after this market sell-off, you know, we have seen dividend strategies come down with the broad market, uh, maybe even a little bit more so. And for investors looking to put money to work today or in the next couple of months, um, dividend strategies or in- equity income-oriented strategies in general have a lot of uh, attractive opportunities in terms of uh, getting into an investment, having a nice yield, um, sort of get paid while you wait for the markets to rebound, because obviously we don't know how long this is going to be and how long it will take for markets to rebound. Um, so having a nice sort of dividend cash flow um, helps to uh, alleviate some of that uh, while, again, while you're waiting for those rebounds to happen. Um, now, to your question, you know, how do we build our dividend-based portfolios? Um, it's very important how we do that for times like this, where cash flow can be um, a, a problem for some of these companies in, in, a, in a very sharp downturn like we're going to be experiencing over the next few months. In our dividend methodology, we're not just looking for stocks that pay a high dividend, but we want to find stocks that through their normal course of operations generate enough cash flow to pay those dividends on a regular basis. Uh, we call that a sustainability test. So essentially looking at the last few years uh, of a stocks or of a company's um, operations, the cash flow they generate from that, and how much of that cash is going to paying their dividends. Essentially, we, we want to find out um, in, in challenge times like we're experiencing now, which companies are more likely to cut their dividends because they won't be generating the cash flow to pay them, and we want to avoid those stocks. So building in that sustainability check into that dividend methodology, we think helps um, in these times where you're going to start to see potential for dividend cuts from certain companies. Um, you know, whether this is three months or six months or nine months of essentially no revenue for, for certain sectors, um, do they have enough cash on hand to keep paying that dividend? Are they going to have to cut that dividend going forward? And so we think building in that sustainability um, into our approach will minimize the amount of dividend cuts we see in these portfolios. Now, as you mentioned in the second part of your question, what's the benefit of a more diversified approach? Obviously, certain sectors will be hit harder than others. And so having exposure to a variety of sectors uh, limits the possibility that you know, all the holdings in your fund uh, are gonna have to cut their dividend because that particular sector has been challenged. So we do have financial exposure in in ZDV and ZWC. We do have some energy exposure as well, uh, but we also have exposure to consumer staples and and other sectors also that we think uh, we'll be able to ride this out. And so, um, you know, ZDV being a bit more of a broader portfolio, it's got more names in it. Um, If you're a bit more concerned about that sort of thing, you might want to go to the ZDV that has a a broader uh, holding base. ZWC is a bit more of a concentrated portfolio, uh, but it does have the covered call overlay on top of it to to add additional yield to, again, improve that pay get paid while you wait uh, sort of approach, a little bit of a higher dividend uh, and distribution yield. All right. Thank you, Chris. Now, let's take those same dividend strategies, which you run consistently across markets. Looking outside of Canada, of course, you've got the U.S. dividend and associated cover call, which again is in a neutral fund format. You've got uh, European cover call and international dividend, again, with a fund format. When we look across markets and try to think about asset allocation here, 
you know, we're seeing massive stimulus packages being announced both in Europe and now following in the U.S. But at the same time, you know, it's a it's a very scary health situation uh, when we watch Italy, when we watch Spain, uh, and, and now the U.S. Uh, to have a sense of you know when these economies might might pull out. So, Chris Heeks, I'll I'll turn this over to you. Uh, how are those markets behaving in comparison to Canada, and what what opportunity do you see uh, outside of Canada with income strategies? Thank you. For sure, um, I think start with the U.S. That ZWH and the mutual fund version strategy that is an unhedged strategy. It's actually, I guess I'll say, only down 15% this year. So. To the, to the U.S., there's a couple things going on. Number one, the U.S. dollar has certainly benefited that. As a, that's been a risk-off asset. But I think in terms of U.S., what interests me there is, obviously, it's been the strongest market for several years. You know, the stronger the market is, the better position they're going to be to navigate challenges. You know, the companies are more flush with cash. You know, you're probably seeing less buybacks than you used to see. Um, but the companies are in relatively good, good situations relative to the rest of the world. You know, in addition, you have a very accommodative central bank who is, you know, throwing, you know, some people said the bazooka at, at this problem in terms of, you know, they're putting together a lot of stimulus. And you're seeing that on the fiscal side as well, very, very aggressive stimulus package that uh, that's that's working its way through. So, you know, in terms of um, a center of strength, I definitely think the U.S. Uh, still is one and will continue to be one. I think our strategies, which have um, been slightly underperformed this year are in a very good position to bounce back. Um, you know, again, with this, this uh, dividend higher income approach, you know, we get a bit of a value bias. So when we get a, a correction in the market, you know, value and dividends, I think, will be very uh, successful strategies. So um, the U.S., I think, is, is, uh, is shaping up pretty well for a recovery. On the European side, you know, the European uh, market's down about 25% to start the year. It's kind of in line with Canada. Um, obviously, Europe, there's some more challenges in terms of uh, the coronavirus is a little bit worse there. Central banks are in a little bit, um, you know, they had less uh, ammo to throw at this than perhaps the U.S. And perhaps there's less uh, fiscal policy as well. Um, it's a greater, it's a, to me, it's a higher risk area. It's also a high opportunity area. You know, in terms of collecting option yield, I, I would definitely um, be in favor of the cover call overlay in that uh, approach in that region. Um, that cover call overlay is going to be able to add an extra, you know, four to five percent. We're going to be pretty far out of the money on the calls due to due to the um, due to the volatility environment we're in. So um, I think a cover call approach in Europe for a, for a satellite position uh, makes some sense, recognizing there's greater challenges there, uh, potentially a greater opportunity as well. Hey, thanks, Chris. And you know what? I'll throw you a follow-up on that. Uh, as as you were just starting to get into the uh, covered call mechanics, uh, certainly we use a dynamic strategy in implementing those calls. And I think what people would be worried about uh, is going into a covered call strategy and thinking they might miss the rebound or, or the upside. Can you just give us a quick comment on how you're dynamically shifting that call overlay, getting further out of the money as, as more premiums are out there. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, it's always been a hallmark of how we've run our cover call strategies is that uh, we want to add a meaningful amount of yield, but we don't want to be greedy for yield. So there's a couple of things we do that really help us participate in the majority of the upsides. You know, one thing is we, we only sell calls on half the portfolio. 
So if you have a strong portfolio uh, rally, you know, half the portfolio is going to fully participate. And then on the calls that we do write, um, we really adapt to the market conditions. So we've, we've got a yield target of 3 4 5%, uh, depending on the market. Uh, when volatility is higher, volatility is the greatest input to option pricing. So when volatility is higher, to get that same amount of yield, we can be further out of the money, which is just going to give clients more room to recover uh, on the upside uh, before there's any, you know, give up on the upside due to the call premium. So, you know, as a broad kind of metric of where we're writing those calls right now, they're around 15% out of the money on a one-month basis. So, again, if stocks rally strongly, 15%. Before there's any negative impact, you know, and even if they rally beyond 15 in a month, which would be a pretty strong move, you know, we still have half the port- portfolio fully participating. So we really try and position these uh, products not only to generate yield, but also to give you the vast majority of the upside. And I think we're in pretty pretty good shape to do that. The volatility does, you know, it's been a, it's been a certainly it's. You know, I prefer not to have the volatility for all things being equal, but it does give us an opportunity on the cover call side to earn earn that income really efficiently and still give exposure to the upside. Great. Thanks, Chris. That's a, that's a really valuable insight. Now let's, uh, let's switch gears to an ETF or an asset class uh, that I've certainly been asked about a lot in the last week. Uh, certainly as people look for lower correlated uh, ETFs, let's, let's talk about REITs uh, where I think people have been surprised that uh, Canadian REITs have really moved down with the marketplace. So ZRE offers equal weight exposure to the Canadian REITs, which I think importantly, uh, there's there's different types of REITs uh, within that portfolio. What's your outlook for REITs? And what are the challenges that are specific to REITs when you think about things like low interest rates and potentially an extended uh, economic downturn, which, which could impact occupancy rates? I'll turn that one over to Chris McKinney. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, we we are surprised at the degree to which REITs have sold off with the broad market. Um, obviously, there's not a huge, uh, not a not a, a really long history of, of REIT indices in Canada. But um, I was looking back to see what sort of movements we've seen in the past, and, and to my knowledge, this is the biggest down move in, in Canadian REITs that we've ever seen. Um, and so again, just goes to the the idea that there's a lot of interesting um, opportunities in this space, particularly for yield oriented investors. Um, just just looking at the portfolio right now, I think the average uh, dividend yield um, out of this portfolio is about seven percent right now. Um, and so that's sort of the a very nice level of cash flow that investors could get while still having some uh, potential upside. Uh, from from any rebound in these portfolios. Now, in terms of what the risks are, there certainly are risks when it comes to real estate, um, as it's very uh, quite quite highly correlated to um, economic activity. And obviously, what we're going to see over the next few months is very very low economic activity um, across the country. Um, so. You know, we do have a variety of, of exposures in this portfolio. So there's residential REITs. Uh, retail REITs, and then others such as industrial, office, healthcare, et cetera. And so the exposure to each of those areas is is diversified in the portfolio. You have a little bit of each. I think residential and retail are the, are the highest two. And so the question becomes, you know, particularly for retail REITs, um, can they weather the storm over the next few months 
as stores are closed, obviously, we've, we see some stores um, starting to decide not to pay their rents while they're being forced to be closed. Again, these are in areas where the government has said you are not allowed um, to run your business out of a physical uh, retail location. And so these stores obviously uh, close not by choice, just because they have to be. And so some of them are not going to be paying their rent over the next few months. So do these uh, companies have either the, the capital and the liquidity to withstand that, or are they going to get some sort of uh, benefit from these government stimulus packages that we're getting? You know, the Canadian government in particular um, offering over $50 billion um, in loans to businesses. And so that's the sort of thing that um, these REITs and real estate companies are going to have to take advantage of in order to bridge the gap to the other side. Now, if you look at what the other side might look like, we're starting to see signs of that um, in China as sort of the, the lead sort of indicator of, of what um, this whole process is going to look like. And um, a lot of stores are now open in China. In fact, um, you know, look at companies like Nike and Starbucks that have a, a large presence in China. And, um, you know, I think Nike said the other day on their earnings call that 80 percent of their stores are now open um, in China, and even in Wuhan, stores are starting to open again. So you're looking at about two to three months um, of a total shutdown before some of these things start to open up again. So I think, you know, if these companies can get to that point uh, where stores start to open up, uh, activity comes back, uh, liquidity comes back into the system, you'll see a bit of a rebound in some of these companies. You know, part of your question was uh, how do how do low interest rates affect REITs? And low interest rates are actually very good uh, for REITs because a their cost of capital uh, remains very low as these are highly levered sort of businesses. Cost of capital for REITs is going to stay very low um, for the foreseeable future, as well as an investment opportunity um, on a relative basis. Low interest rates make REITs look very attractive. Again, um, indicating a seven percent yield right now. Um, and so there are probably some near-term challenges, as I kind of outlined, with some of these companies. Uh, but as as they weather the storm over the next three months, uh, we think pretty much all of this will will, will sort of come uh, come back and, and rebound in maybe Q4, um, Q1 of next year. All right, thank you, Chris. I think it's uh, always interesting to talk talk about different uh, asset classes or, or sectors. The challenge, of course, being when markets go down, correlations rise. So hopefully now, as, as things start to move more sideways, uh, we'll see some differentiation. So I want to thank everyone for taking the time to join us today, and as well, thank you for the questions. I want to thank Chris and Chris for giving us their their valuable insights. Uh, ETF tips and, you know, really getting a good deep dive into some of these portfolios. Uh, So thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you to our panelists for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard some valuable and actionable ideas from portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Chris McCainy on how to leverage income strategies that enhance portfolio yield in the current environment. We also learned the importance of quality and how BMO's high dividend mandate employs a sustainability test to ensure investment only in companies with the most reliable dividend streams. For more information, we encourage you to contact your regional BMO ETF specialist. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N 
at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.